Welcome, folks, to another episode of That Anita Live, emotional healing to help you create a happier life. I'm Anita, your host, and this week we're discussing family pieces. As a child, my guest today carried the heart-wrenching pain of being denied. But as time went on, her family blossomed. She's here today to help us learn how to mend relationships and move forward in life with the family pieces. She's one of six authors of a new collaborative book, Women Who Overcome. What's up, Desiree? Hi, how are you? How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here today. Thank you very much for coming. You're welcome. Let's get into this story here. All right, let's go. <laughs> now, I would say, just looking at you, I would say that I would not guess that you're a person that would remember growing up in a house that didn't have indoor plumbing. Oh, yes. That's what a lot of people say when they look at me. Mm -hmm. The first thing they look at is the outside. They don't see what I went through. I remember being a kid, probably about maybe four or five. We didn't have an indoor plumbing. We didn't have a bathroom. Actually, our house was two bedrooms, a kitchen, and a living room. So we went to the toilet. It would be a bucket, and we would take it outside. Or you would go to the outhouse. I never went to the outhouse because I'm afraid of snakes. So I would never go to the outhouse. I, I'm sorry. I kid you not. I would never go. And, and I, what state is this in? Um, this is in Southern Virginia. I grew okay. up in Southern Virginia. Okay. And, um, and the, the good thing about the house that I grew up in was that my grandfather built it. Mm -hmm. Like he built it at a time where a lot of blacks didn't own homes. He was in the military. And so he actually built the house with his own hands. But at that time, of course, they didn't have plumbing. They didn't have running water. And then he died at a very young age. He actually died at 32. Wow. He was killed um, in a car accident from what my grandmother told me. So she was left to raise. At the time, my mother wasn't even born. She was actually in the womb. Wow. So at that time, when he died, it was uh, four other children. And my mother was on the way. So it was five children. And my grandmother never really upgraded the house anymore but um and it, the, the crazy thing the funny thing about it is when i went to school a lot of people didn't know that i didn't have running water now, that's a question that i had in reading the book because you said the other kids would tease you mm -hmm. but usually when we're growing up even though they find kids find differences we are within the same social economic group mm -hmm. so we all really have the same issues and problems it just shows in different ways so was it that the other kids had indoor plumbing oh the other kids now see where i grew up i grew up in a my street was different okay. so when i went to high school i went to school with people whose parents were attorneys or lawyers okay. and lived in better situations okay. so some some people that i went to high school with yes they had the latest nikes or adidas so or whatever was going school. But middle school, elementary school, all of it. I, it was just with the street that I grew up on. Okay. So everybody was bused too, because I grew up in a small town, so everybody was bused. Okay. So I may be on the bus for 30 minutes. <laughs> so it didn't matter where you live, but I may be on the bus for 30 minutes. And we didn't have where it was divided by, well, okay, I live in the nice area or the lower area. Everybody went to school together. So it was not divided by your socioeconomics when and I went then, to school. In addition to that, one of the pain points that you talk about a lot in the book is not being able to be daddy's little princess. Oh yes, it hurt my heart. Um, I was one of the, I wanted to be the apple of my father's eye. And the, the best memory I have of my father, I was about five. 
And he came to pick me up from my, my mother and my grandmother's house. And he says, and we had this store called the Crossroads store. It's at the end of the road. And it was like a crossroads, right? <laughs> and he says, well, he come to pick me up. And it was probably like summer or springtime because I remember it being very warm. And he says, well, you know what? I'm going to take you to the store. And at the time, we had penny candy. So all the candy was a penny. And he says, I'm going to go take you to the store and get you some penny candy. And I felt that was the best I've ever felt with my father. He took me to the store, got me 100 pieces. I thought it was a million dollars at that point because yeah. dad came and got me and took me somewhere. And then I never seen my father from that point on until we went to court. But being that you didn't see him a lot, how, what was it? That, how did he become to mean so much to you? Like, what was that that was pulling within you that you felt like you were missing? I was missing, for me, I felt like I was missing the support and the love that a father can give you. So in my house, it was just, at that time, it was really- At five. At five, yeah. At five. Yes, I wanted that. I wanted that, but you gotta remember- Where, did, where else did you see it? That's what I was gonna say, like, okay. uh, like my cousin who lived directly across the street from mm -hmm. me, she had her mom and her dad. Mm -hmm. So if I went to school, my best girlfriend, me and her are still friends with her friends over 30 years, she had her mom and her dad. Mm -hmm. Everybody around me had their mom and their dad. Maybe in a couple of that didn't. Mm -hmm. And then you got my other neighbor that lived across the street, had mom and dad. So everywhere I saw the images that there was mom and dad. And I wonder, well, when is my dad coming back? so that I can have those relationships. And I would see them, because like I said, me and my best cousin, she lived across the street from me. We were actually like distant cousins. But we're like, she's like in the third generation of my family. Mm -hmm. And you was, I would see her, her and her father go to church together, because we all went to church together. I would see them go out together, but I was left without no father to Did take me. Did you ever in. express that to anybody as a child? No, I was that person that kept everything bottled inside. I didn't, at that point, I didn't know how to express mm -hmm. it because I was looking for the love for my father and didn't know where to get it from at that point. And I was sad, I was depressed, even had self-esteem issues about it because I felt like at that point, especially being so little, it was my fault. Well, why didn't daddy come back? Why wasn't he here? What did I do wrong? Never knowing that at that point, my dad was just at a different point in life. Later on, I found out he actually moved to a whole nother state. And he left. I didn't know where he was. There was no telephone numbers, no nothing. Like, I heard absolutely nothing. From 5 to 13, you heard nothing. I heard nothing to 5 to 13. But then 13, there was that one that day. That was that one day. And I remember this because my mother, I have a younger sister who's about 10 and a half years younger than me. So at this point, my mom decides, because she wasn't getting any help for me. No child support, no nothing. So she was on her own trying to take care of me. And that was probably like in the 80s. And she decides after she had my sister, well, you know what? I'm gonna take both of them up for child support. And at that time, when you do child support, they rendered a DNA test. Mm -hmm. So we get to the court and I remember, and for some reason I wanted to go. And I was like, mom, let me miss school. I wanna go, I wanna go see my dad. I saw it as I'm going to see my father. Excited. Excited. Like I haven't seen my dad since I'm five. You know, so now I get to see my father and I'm thinking he's going to come to court. Yes, he's going to own me. He's going to take up the onus. He's going to give me everything that I missed from five to 13. So the judge was like, well, you know, he was, he was saying, well, Mr. Johnson, we're going to have to do a DNA test. And, you know, is this your child? And he said, no, that's not my child. I mind you, I'm in the courtroom. 
I was heartbroken at that time. I'm like, well, don't I look like you? And you're probably the first generation that actually will have that memory of being in the courtroom and hearing mm -hmm. that. In that moment, how did that, did that, it didn't change any feeling? What you thought about oh, what your father? After that, my whole, I mean, my whole world was crushed, but I was like, how? I was sad. I was depressed even more, because at that point I'm like, well, he's saying I'm not his. And then I'm, in my mind, young mind, well, who is my dad then? If he's not my dad, then who's my dad? Can you still hear that, though? Yes. I still hear a, that. A lot of what our parents said becomes our inner voice. Yes. I still hear that, even though my father's deceased. Mm -hmm. and he's been deceased for about 16 years almost now. I still hear that, and that I'm 40 now, so that's been years ago. But in the courtroom that day, you still held it in? Yep, I still held didn't it in. Didn't express it to anybody? Didn't express it to anybody. Not even my best girlfriend. I was one. Of, I grew up as one of those people that just held everything in. Just never talked about it. How did that? How did the rest of the day go? The rest of the day probably went terrible. I don't. I don't even remember going back to school. I think I shut it out after that point, and I was just waiting because we had to go back. Mm -hmm. We had to go back, and I said, "I'm going back." You know, I'm going back, going back to this courtroom. And I remember going back in that courtroom and the judge was like, you are 99.9% .9 the father. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, yes. But then that's when a lot of hatred started, you know, building up because at that point the judge was like, well, you're going to have to provide health insurance. You're going to have to provide dental insurance. And my dad was like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I, I'm not able to do that. I got more children to take care of. I'm like, more children? Wait a minute. I thought I was your princess. See, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know, and they told him how much he had to pay, and it was a, a very low amount. It was like $30 a week, you know. And that $30 a week, to me, it wasn't enough, but it was, it was a, all I got from my dad. So it, if my mom was like, hey, I'd be like, well, I need some new shoes. She'd be like, well, I don't have no money. I said, you got my money from my dad. And I would get to arguing with her back and forth because that's all I had to attach mm -hmm. to my father. Mm -hmm. That was it. I had nothing else. I went through. Because he never called you? He never called me. Um, actually, me and him were born in the same month. He never called me for my birthday. He never, I, to this day, I don't remember. I don't have a Christmas gift or a birthday gift that I ever remember that my father gave me out of my entire life. So I remember going through high school, I ran track, I participated in a choir. Dad never came to any track meets, anything, never showed up. So my grandmother, my mom's mom, she would always stay in contact with his mother. And she would always tell his mother, hey, this is what's going on, graduation's coming up. So that's how he knew that I graduated Did and things. Did you ever speak to that grandma, your paternal Yeah, grandma? I spoke to her sometimes. I would speak to her sometimes, but she was, um, she was from the, the mindset that children out of wedlock, she didn't acknowledge, so she didn't acknowledge me that much as well. Okay. But my grandmother would always call her and talk to her and stuff, but um, no, he didn't come to high school graduation, nor my college graduation. And, He's, you, and you never expressed it. Now, do you feel as if it came out in other ways? Oh, yes. Oh, it came out in a whole lot of other ways. <laughs> Let me be honest. <laughs> I, you know, anger, just angry all the time. Um, I, I can say I was probably the most angriest person.
person, especially as I got older, because I held it in mm -hmm. for so long, probably like in my 20s, especially when I went to college, I drank a lot. I partied a lot. I don't even know how I got through. <laughs> because I was dealing with that pain of, hey, my father's not here. So I remember being in college. And it was one particular time I needed $200 mm -hmm. for my bucks. I got on the phone and I got his number from my grandmother. You know, she she digged that we got his number. And I said, Dad, you know, I need some money for books. I, I got to finish college. He said, well, get it from your mother. I said, oh, okay. We had a pay phone at the time. Good. I went just like that. And I went back to my room. And, I, and that we didn't have email at that time. So we had, I got my old-fashioned pen and paper. And I wrote this letter. I, basically wrote, I think I was about 19, so this is like my sophomore year, going to my sophomore year. I wrote about my life. I said, you're not coming to my wedding. You're not gonna see your grandkids. You're not gonna see this. You're not gonna see me get married. I mean, I went through this whole thing of what he's not gonna see about this $200. And I, I don't remember everything else I wrote, but I do remember that. And I put it in the mail and I mailed it to him. I got his address, everything, I mailed it to him. I never spoke to him again. Now, after that, mm -hmm. Did you feel as if that writing of that letter was a release? It was a release, yes. It was a release at that point from, because I don't remember everything. It, was, it released some anger, but not a lot. It didn't fully get the closure that I needed because I needed to talk to my dad. So I remember after that, I went through college again, like I said, drinking, partying. We'll learn more about the self-medication that Desiree went through in in those college years, right after this. What if I told you that you could stop the negative tape from playing inside your head? What if with seven simple steps, you could leave the pain of the past behind and live every day as your true authentic self? It is possible and you can do it. The ebook, Seven Simple Steps to Beat Emotional Baggage, how to become whole, healed, healthy, and happy. Shares how to resolve emotional baggage. And feel free to live true to your own personality, spirit, and character. Transform negative thinking into positive thinking and become equipped to boldly face your past and resolve emotional pain. Get your free copy at thatanitalive.com slash ebook. Back to hear about the self-medicating during the lovely college years. Where'd you go to college? I went to St. Paul's College in Lawrenceville, Virginia. Mm -hmm. It was a small HBCU. You know well. Oh, okay. I used to travel there sometimes from Virginia State. Okay, all right, yes. So the self-medicating, as you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. was drinking. Yes. How bad did it get? Oh my gosh. It was so bad, I remember I would blank out. I remember one time I blanked out. I don't even know what happened. I was in a, I was in a hotel room, blanked out. I didn't know what happened. And I, I, one of my roommates, she could tell you more because I would forget half the stuff that happened. Now, looking back mm -hmm. now, do you feel as if that helped or made the situation worse? It made the situation worse. Um, it didn't help anything because when I woke up and I had those hangovers, mm -hmm. that problem was still there. Yep, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't go anywhere. Then you mentioned at the point where the relationships begin to mend mm -hmm. because 
You mentioned in the book that you met your father. Mm -hmm. He called you, mm -hmm. told you to meet him at the bank. Yep. And he gave you $200. Yes, he did. I remember that. So when I graduated in 99, about the two couple days before I graduated, his mom passed. And I remember that. I cried. Of course I'm going to cry. This, this lady, I, I know her, but I don't know her. She passed. She had um, cancer, so she died really quick. She had ovarian cancer. She probably didn't even live six months after she found out she had it. And so at that time, my dad called me. I went to her funeral. I sat in the back. Me and my grandmother, my grandma was my road dog. She was like, come on, let's go to the funeral. I said, Grandma, I don't want to go, but I sat in the back. And a couple of days after that, he realized that I was there. So he called. He said, I want you to come meet me at the SunTrust Bank. And I said, which one? And he told me. And I said, okay, I'm going to be up there. And I said, well, maybe this is a chance for us to... You know, because at first I, I was like, eh, do I go? But then I was like, no, you go. And he says, well, you know what? He apologized to me. He says, well, I'm sorry. You know, and he just went on his long spiel. I'm sorry and if I'm not being there. And here's $200. I'm very proud that you graduated from college. And from that point on, we were able to. Now, wait a minute. Because it does sound like mm -hmm. at that moment, mm -hmm. all was forgiven. Is that how you felt? No, not that's not how I felt. But it was the big it was the beginning cuz after that we started talking over the phone. I would go see him every now and again cuz he didn't live that far from So you were open. I was open. Yes, I was open at that point. Um to hear, you know, just to hear and see what had been going on. You know, through the years. You had a hard time getting me to answer that phone. <laughs> but you know, I was still wanting to be Daddy's little princess. Even at 23 when I graduated, I still wanted that. So how did the relationship begin to mend? So after his mother died, that's when the relationship mm -hmm. began so to mend. Yes. started to feel Phil some regret. Yes, yes. When his mom died and so he decided, you know, hey, let's talk. We would talk. I would go by his house a couple times. And I remember going to his house this one particular time. And I saw this picture of this young lady sitting there. And I said... I never called my dad dad, I'm going to be honest with you. I said, Dennis, what's that little girl right there? I said, she looks just like you. He said, oh, that's none of your business. I said, oh, okay. You know, I left it alone. I said, but she really, really looks like you. I said, is that a sister? Because he never, at that point, right. even though we were still mended, he still didn't tell me about all my siblings, my nieces. He never told me anything. So I had... Actually, I was still living in Virginia at that time, and I moved here. And when I remember when I moved here, we were talking on the phone, and he was telling me about just the Washington, D.C. area, you know, the traffic and things like that. And I remember being here one Thanksgiving, and he says, my, no, he didn't call me. His aunt called me and says, well, Desiree, because his aunt lived across the street from my mother's sister. So she walked right across the street, and she says, tell Desiree to get home now. So they called me, it's like three o'clock in the morning. My dad had a stroke at that point. So he was in the hospital. He was in Winston-Salem Baptist Hospital. When I got to the hospital, I didn't know what I was gonna see at that point. And I got to the hospital, I remember sitting in the waiting room and they said, well, Johnson family, please stand. Mm -hmm. He couldn't talk. He couldn't talk, right, he, had, he couldn't talk, he couldn't say nothing. But I got there and they said, Johnson family, please stand. So I stood up, this other young lady stood up and I said, well, we walk into the safe. So we get there. Our father, he's laying there. Too, he couldn't speak. Mm -hmm. 
He had tubes mm -hmm. everywhere. He couldn't speak. He, all he saw was me and my sister Tony standing on opposite sides of the bed, meeting each other mm -hmm. pretty much for the first time. He couldn't say nothing. He couldn't talk. And I don't know what was going through his mind. He never told me what was going through his mind. I think he talked to one of my older sisters, you know, because they were like, well, why didn't you tell us? Why was she just this big secret? And he was like, well, I just didn't know if y'all would get along. That was his excuse. Y'all didn't know if y'all would get along, if y'all would like each other. We're sisters. We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get along at this point in our lives. Um, and I remember from that day forward, and I'm still in contact with my sisters. I have a whole, I have, with my dad, I have, like, I think it's one, two, three, like, four sisters, whole bunch of nieces and nephews that I have embraced. You, I mean, he was in ICU. Your family just blossomed. It just yes, grew up. it just grew from that day forward. I mean, my sister Tony. Did you two say anything to each other? Yes, we did. We was like, when she, we, I was like, who are you? She said, I'm his daughter. I said, well, so am I. She was like, I never met you before. And so from then, she called my sister Evora because there's one sister that's older than her. Actually, they're, they're the same age. They were born the same year. And we was like, duh, 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 duh. meet us at the restaurant. So all three of us met at the restaurant, and we sat down and talking. It was, at that time, we knew about, they was telling me about our baby sister, Makia, who was much younger than me. We didn't know about any other siblings or anything at that time. But we did find out that young lady, who that young lady in the picture I was telling you about, we found out who she was. She was one of my sisters. So there's you. Mm-hmm. There's me. There's three, the three that you met at the hospital. Two that I met at the hospital, and they, caught, they were telling me about the other one. And then there was one, my sister Kirsten, I remember this story. My mom was at work one day, and this young lady was saying, well, you know, my, talking about her dad, you know, I just don't want to see my dad, and blah, 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 blah. So my mom walks up to her at work and said, well, who is your father? She said, Dennis Johnson. Oh, mom. I said, oh, my, oh, my mom. Did. Yes. We're going to deal with this, this now. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what my mother did. And my mom called, and she said, I met one of your sisters on my job. I said, wow. Yeah. This was in 2000. And you know, folks have probably been whispering and going, telling and coming back, mm -hmm. going and telling and coming back. So she was like, you know what? I'm sick of y'all. Mm -hmm. Let me just go ask this young lady for myself. Yep. And at that point, it was 2003, it was like the summertime, I remember. And my father, I don't know what he, what his explanation was for her. And I actually got to, when I came home, I got to sit down and talk to Kirsten, but later that year, that's when my father died. But, okay, he was released from the hospital though. Yeah, he was he released, recovered. yeah, he recovered. But what happened, so, he was still being sick. But during the time period that he recovered, and you mm -hmm. asked these questions, did he ever give any type of answer versus just responding to you he was just responding to me he never really gave me any answers did you ever ask him why did he deny you i didn't i never asked him because i was told the reason he denied me was because he did not want to pay child support and that probably was the truth because later on that i learned there was five children that he had trying to take care of him at that time but you know, the good thing was I was happy about though, Miss Anita, is I was able to make peace with him before he died. You know, we was, we was on good terms when he died. Even though it was a really short period, because I graduated in 99 and he died in 2003. It was not a long time. Like me and my sisters, we all wanted to go out with him and have this big family 
dinner, but my father was sick. We never got a chance to do it. And when he died, he died instantly. Like there was no, he saw, yeah, it was like an aneurysm from his heart to his brain. They was gonna operate. He was actually at the hospital. They couldn't do nothing to save him. So is there anything that you are still carrying with you now? Do you feel like the peace that you made made everything okay? I feel like in some instances, the peace I made still carry, but the, the courtroom incident, I feel like will never leave me. I feel like that will never leave me. I feel like that will go with me into eternity because I heard it and I seen it come out of his lips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I look like my father. Do you ever see a picture of him? I look like my father. And I used to wonder sometimes, well, I look like my mom. Now I look more like my mom as I got older, but as growing up, I look just like my father. So tell us about this piece and how others can mend broken relationships. Because uh, I got to tell you, once I cut somebody loose. Oh, you done. You like my mom. They gone. They gone. You know the one. No matter who it is. Mm. You know the one thing about the peace, I got the peace from God. Because I was always in church. Even though sometimes I may not have been listening, but I was always in church and God has always been in me. But I think the willingness that I was open to go meet my father that day at the bank, that was my ticket. Had I never took that ticket, I probably would still be that crazy girl that was drinking and partying to some degree, because I would still be trying to heal and self-medicate myself. But I took that ticket and I was glad that I took that ticket. So sometimes I think just being open to a situation, not always being closed. I know some people say, well, like you said, hey, once I'm done, I'm done, you know, but I think sometimes just being open, that openness allowed me and the grace of God allowed me to be able to have that peace. Cause some of my, one of my sisters did never, did not get that peace to this day. She did not get that peace. So I'm glad I, I made that peace with him. What, what let you know that your sister did, didn't get that peace? She told me. She said so she's still pissed. She's still pissed. Mm -hmm. She's still pissed. Yes. Actually, they hadn't spoken when he died in years. So what would be your recommendation to somebody whom their father was not in their life growing up and now? Mm -hmm. They're you know, successful, mm -hmm. educated, out on their own, and he is now starting to try to reach out to men. Mm -hmm. And they're thinking, I don't know what you need or what you're coming to me to try and get, mm -hmm. but you weren't there for me when I was younger. Why should I listen to you now? You know, my recommendation would be is to be open and listen. Because sometimes you got to think about, I'm a parent now, and sometimes you think about parents are not always, um, that they make mistakes. They change, life situations change. Allow them the opportunity to tell their side. Now, whether it helps, some people are still going to be like, hey, I'm done, I'm over. But I think being open, start writing. Even if you don't want to talk to them, write them letters. You can put it in the mail and mail it to them. You don't always have to, now we got email. You know, now we can email each other back and forth. We can text, we don't have to do that face-to-face -face if you don't want that emotional pain. But have some form of communication because I think we don't want to leave, you know, for me, I wouldn't want to leave that earth, leave this earth not knowing 
-hmm. how that person truly felt or what the situation was. Because sometimes it's not always the dad. Sometimes it's the mother doing things. So we just don't know until you give them an opportunity to speak and make peace with it, whatever it is, and ask God to help you and pray. We all have dysfunctional families. Though we have to live with their decisions, they do not define who we are or what we become. Just like Desiree, keep living, but stay open. That family member will return and you should be ready to forgive. If you'd like to learn more about Desiree Smith, visit Desiree Smith on Facebook. Make the commitment to start your journey to emotional healing today. I'm Anita, your host. Be sure to check out thatanitalive.com for where and when to see our next episode.